God, will you uh, use these gifts that we're giving freely out of your own hand. Will you use these gifts to bless the nations with the good news of your goodness in Jesus. Amen. Okay. How's everybody doing today? Glad to hear it. One woot. We got one woot. One woot from the guy who just got married. You can clap for that. I guess that's allowed. All right. Uh, let me give you a little bit of a warning. Uh, an imperfect analogy is on its way. All right. So, and uh, you'll think it's going to pass, but it's going to keep coming up over and over again. So, if you hate it, your problem, not mine. So, uh, Jane and I recently joined the YMCA. I considered bringing the music. I didn't. Uh, we just recently joined the Y, and. Um, we found this set of machines called the E-Gym. Has anyone ever used the E-Gym before? Okay. It's pretty fascinating, um, and I'm kind of, like, really into it all of a sudden. Uh, here's what the E-Gym is. There are, like, 11 stations. You, you walk in your first time, and the trainer looks at you. They, they weigh you. That's embarrassing. They weigh you. Then they measure you, also can be embarrassing at times. They kind of, they check your flexibility. Um, they do like a scan of your body. It's all very mystical. And, um, and then you go into each of these 11 stations where, you know, you're kind of in this machine. And then you do the workout, like you do a max repetition, whether it's this press or this press or legs or abs or biceps, you know, whatever. You do sort of your max, and the, the mystical machine uh, throws a bunch of things together, and when you're done with that, uh, it comes up with the perfect workout for you. And they give you a little band. That's cool. So you go up. When you go in, you go up to the machine. You scan it. It logs you in. It knows who you are at that point, and then it you do this workout. And when you sit in these machines, there's a screen in front of you. I know this is very complicated. Pro I promise it's going to be worth it. You sit in front of this screen, and, you have, uh, and the timer goes, and then it tells you when to start, and there's a screen that goes like this. And you basically do the repetition, and you make the little dot go up, and then you make the little dot go down. So as you're doing your exercises, you're watching the screen and you're sort of trying to stay within the realm of what's healthy and safe for you. And you do 20 repetitions in, I don't know, 60 seconds. And then you, you leave the machine and you scan into the next one and it gives you about 45 seconds to wait. Uh, you hit the button, it remembers who you are, and then you do the next exercise. In about 30 minutes, you've done a, a full body workout, 20 repetitions at a time. And this machine, I just keep saying it because it feels it it knows you. And by the end of this workout, you feel like, I've done something. The machine doesn't do the work for you. You cooperate with the machine, and it helps you do what you need to do in a safe way so that you can become stronger and healthier. Um, we're looking at a text this morning that I think is kind of like an invitation into that kind of work with Jesus in the world. I'm going to give you a little context even before we read the, the passage. It'll be familiar to you. But here's the context leading up to this invitation and promise that comes from Jesus. Jesus has been teaching. He's been healing. He's been questioning people. Honestly, he's been confusing people. 
He's been drawing people near, and then he's done some things and said some things that kind of pushes people away. He calls, he's been calling his disciples. He's been honoring the faithful. He's been completely messing with the religious leaders of the time. He's been empowering his followers. He's been warning them of difficulty that's coming when they follow him. He's been denouncing those who don't believe, in some cases, entire towns that didn't believe in him. And he's been praising God for his sovereign, upside-down way of dealing with the people that he so lovingly formed. And he's been hiding spiritual wisdom from the wise and revealing mysteries to children. That's what's happened about five chapters before we get to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And then Jesus gives this invitation. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Why don't you stand as I read? Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, as we stand, let's just take 30 seconds and be quiet before God and let the Holy Spirit speak from this word of God to us before we say any more words. Jesus, will you open our ears to this invitation to rest, to peace, to your leadership, to your grace? Will you open our hearts to understand? Pour out your Holy Spirit on this time as we listen in order to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The crux of this passage, and it's probably familiar to, to many of you, is pretty clear. Jesus is inviting us, that's you and me, today and every day to come to him, to come personally, to come honestly, and to come practically to him for his leadership and his rest. This is an invitation into grace. It's one of Jesus' big invitations into a life of grace. So we'll spend some time talking about it, but the biggest question is, how will we respond? How will you respond to the invitation of Jesus to come to him and the promise of rest, of his leadership, and of his grace? So we're going to walk through uh, this invitation promise sort of slowly, verse by verse, and see what God wants to say to us. Jesus begins, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Obviously, the invitation is to all. So if today you are in any group that is under the label of all, <laughs> you're invited. If you know any weariness, if you know any burden, then Jesus is speaking to you. Th this invitation has no exclusions. There's no little asterisks at the bottom, you know, not available in Indiana, Hawaii, and, you know, or to you for whatever reason. 
wherever you are today, if you're in the midst of all, this invitation is for you. Jesus' invitation is to the weary, those who have become tired because they're working so hard trying to make something happen, but also to the burdened, which is like the passive side of weariness. It's carrying something that's too heavy for you. Do you know what it feels like to be overburdened? I mean, whether in the physical or the spiritual, the emotional, the intellectual, just like, this is too much to handle. This is more than I can take. He's speaking to us when we're there. In the context that Jesus is speaking, the burdens could be, for people listening to him, the, uh, the work of attempting to live up to the law, trying to fulfill the law of the Old Testament, trying to earn God's favor, trying to do enough to be accepted by this God, we've been, you know, worshiping this morning, who is holy and completely other. And some of the people that he was speaking to would have felt that burden. It could be the general burdens and the challenges of life, which honestly, if we're all honest, left to our own strength, we simply can't bear. If all we have in this world is our own strength with what the world brings, how many of us, like me, feel like, I can't do it? <laughs> this, is, this is more than I can bear. So what does weary and burdened mean? I guess my question is, what does it not mean? What wearies you? What burdens you? What, what weighs on you this morning? What are you worried about? Now, we don't have time to actually answer any of those questions. <laughs> that would be long, right? What are you working for? What are you striving for in your life that feels unattainable? Jesus is speaking to and he's teaching a, a, a crowd of mixed people. Some of those things I said before, he was speaking to his disciples. But now he's talking to the crowd. So his disciples are in the crowd and they, they believe. And they resonate with weary and burdened and the invitation to come. Some of them uh, have believed, but they're not yet following. They're sort of in that in-between state. And Jesus is speaking also to some people who have never heard of him before who have not responded in faith. So I just want to point out that this invitation, we can take it e either as an evangelistic invitation, come to me for salvation, or a discipleship invitation, come to me and I'll teach you. Jesus throws it all out there. Wherever you are today, the invitation is from Jesus, come to me. And the promise is, I will give you rest. So this seems obvious, but just for the sake of the children, I'll, I'll say this out loud. We don't earn rest. We receive rest. In the context of the kingdom, we don't earn rest. We receive rest. Rest is a gift. Rest is something that's given and accepted, not something that's earned and then collected. We don't make it happen. We allow it to happen to us by another. Really? When Jesus offers rest, we submit to rest. We say, okay, bring it on. I'll take it because I can't make it on my own. Uh, rest, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not a huge Greek scholar. I'm really not. But when I look at the words and find out what's behind there, I'm usually fascinated to find out. In this case, rest is not a noun. Wouldn't you think it was a noun? It might sound like... Um, hey, if you come to me, I'm going to give you this gift. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be rest. I'm going to plop it on you, and then you'll, you know, be in the midst of rest. But in this text, it's not a noun. It's not a thing or an event. It's a verb. 
It's an action taken by Jesus on our behalf. And here's what it means. To cause or permit one to cease from a movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. When we come to Jesus, what we're saying is, I submit to you making me rest. I allow you to have your way, and that will cause me to do the inaction of rest. It means to give rest or to refresh. I love this part, to keep one quiet of calm and patient expectation. That one really resonated with me because if you're like me, there's a lot of noise in my head, you know, a lot of thoughts, a lot of things that go around, a lot of comparison and judgment. And you, you, Anyone else feel any of that inside themselves? Okay, good, I'm not alone. So when I hear that the invitation when I come to Jesus is that he wants to keep me quiet and grant me calm and patient expectation, I want to sign up for that. That sounds really attractive. When we come to Jesus, he grants rest. He causes us to rest. He brings to an end our labor and replaces it with calm and patient expectation. We receive rest by grace. Grace is a perfect fit for us. I'm going to read from a book. I probably read this book for the first time 35 years ago, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Um, Hudson Taylor was a missionary, 19th century uh, one of the first missionaries to go inland China and dress like the Chinese and, and really respect and honor their culture and bring the message of Jesus uh, to a people and in a time where the message of Jesus was hard to communicate and there was not just persecution in the physical and spiritual, but, I mean, some of his children died in this process of giving the good news to the Chinese people. Hudson Taylor spends, this is a book by, I think, his son or grandson, and the first bit of the book is history, but also describes the labor of this missionary working hard for God and never feeling like he was enough, doing everything he possibly could and still feeling like he struggled with sin, he struggled with anxiety, he struggled with depression. He, 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 he longed for holiness but couldn't make it happen on, on his own. And... Um, so let me read some parts of this. He's writing a letter to his sister explaining what God has done for him. He says, When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from a dear friend was used to remove the scales from my eyes, and the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I'd never known it before. Um, his friend's name was McCarthy. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, and I quote from memory, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. As I read it, I saw it all. If we believe not, he is faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed. He was a believer at this time. This isn't his salvation experience. This is, this is Hudson Taylor responding to the invitation to come to Jesus and receive rest. Ah, there is rest, I thought. I've striven in vain to rest in him. I'll strive no more. For has he not promised to abide with me, never to leave me, never to fail me, and he never will? He says, The sweetest part, if one may speak of one part being sweeter than another, 
is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. I'm no longer anxious about anything, as I realize this, for he I know is able to carry out his will, and his will is mine. It makes no matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me. For in the easiest position, he must give me his grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. So if God should place me in serious perplexity, must he not give me much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace. In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength. No fear that his resources will prove unequal to the emergency. And his resources are mine, for he is mine and is with me and dwells in me. And the rest of the book is about really the way that that encounter coming to Jesus after he'd been a Christian a long time had impact on the work of Hudson Taylor. The, the, the people that were reached, the, the problems that uh, were overcome, the, the grace that came from his life. Jesus' rest is complete rest. His grace is sufficient, and that's no matter what. And that Jesus is inviting us this morning. He's inviting you, he's inviting me to come to him real honestly, uh, authentically, and practically and ask him to give us his leadership and his rest, his grace. Verse 29, Matthew eleven twenty-nine, 29. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Now, I, maybe like you, have heard a couple of sermons on this in the past. I've read books about it, and normally my experience is the, the preacher, teacher person at this point, you know, throws up some slides and says, this is what a yoke looks like, and the yoke is meant to attach one sort of learned, strong animal with a weaker animal, and then they learn from that one, and so it's all, everything's good, and I mean, that, that might be what Jesus is saying. But I, I read in another place in, in preparation for this message, there's another yoke that Jesus might be talking of. And maybe you got this way before I did, but this was new to me. There's an animal yoke, which is what I just described. Picture the oxen, the thing that goes across the two oxen, you know, they're trying to be in sync. But there's a human yoke that was worn. So if, if you have seen the chosen, like uh, the Samaritan woman, she's coming to get water. She's got a yoke over her shoulder. It's, it's like form-fitted and she carries, you can carry a larger burden if you distribute the weight of a yoke across your shoulders. So I got to thinking, what if Jesus here is not talking about being yoked to him like he does some work and we do some work? What if he's talking about the yoke that perfectly fits the work for which God has called us? What if it's a human yoke that he's talking about? I, I think maybe it is. I'm not debating that there are times when we do something and God has to come in and save us. I mean, there's a good analogy in the other one. But for me, the thought of God, Jesus giving to me the perfect yoke that fits me. Do you see the Egypt analogy coming now? Jesus knows me. Jesus has scanned me, Psalm 139. Jesus knows my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. Jesus knows that I have to work to get strong. That I, he's not going to do it all for me, 
But I just imagine this yoke that Jesus talks about as the, um, the yoke of one who recognizes that here's a person, we'll just take Randy as an example, who's completely inadequate to the task, except for the adequacy that comes from Jesus. And I think uh, the New Testament, uh, the writers of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, work hard to say when we walk with God, it's not like God is next to us and we're walking together and chit-chatting. He's in us, and we're in him. I mean, that's the emphasis of the New Testament, is the incarnation. It's we are one with Christ. It's not like, you know, we have our quiet time and we talk, and he says, okay, go out and have a good day. Report back when you come back. I've lived my life like that for years, thinking I'm sent off, and then I'm on my own, and I'll report back and say what a mess I've made of it. No, he's in us. So what if this yoke is Jesus saying, Take my yoke, the one I formed for you, just for you, because I know you, and then walk with that. Learn from me. So taking his yoke, in my understanding, means that we, the unable, allow ourselves to be fitted by him, the perfectly able, who promises his presence in us, again, the unable, in order to make all things possible. What if the joy of Jesus is saying, here, take my yoke. You're going to love this. This is going to be great. A perfectly fitted yoke and an easy burden, we're getting to that, that's a good fit. That, that gives you a sense of, you know what, Jesus, you and me and me and you, we can do this. I'm, I'm completely dependent upon you, but I'll, I want that yoke that makes me able to do what you've called me to do. Jesus is speaking to his audience the way any rabbi would have at the time. Because the rabbis used this image of the yoke. Uh, they talked about it as a school, like the discipleship school. It was the yoke that the, the, um, the students would put on. So Jesus' words are an invitation to everyone who's worn out from living in a fallen world and exhausted by trying to meet the standards, by trying to do it well enough, by trying to... Uh, perform and attempting to, to win God's approval or man's approval. It's an invitation to drop the yoke of the law, doing it on our own, and take on the yoke of grace, resting in his love and leadership. Isn't it odd? Have you ever thought that, you know, in these three verses, Jesus says, come to me and you'll find rest, and then immediately he gives us work. Come to me, you're weary, you're burdened, and I'll give you rest. Now take this yoke. <laughs> now take this thing, that sounds hard to me, unless the one who knows me best has formed it. Unless, he, unless he's really scanned me and knows me and, and designed for me a way to live out my life in the world with him. One commentator I read pointed out that learn from me is not learn from my experience or even imitate me, but here's the way he said it, Learn from the revelation that I alone impart. It's not, it's not necessarily do it like I did it or imitate me, but uh, do it in the way, use the information I give you. Use the, the, the word that I pronounce to you, who you are and who I am, and let that be your guide. Which says to me, you know, there is a plan that God has for me to walk in grace. And the plan for me to walk in grace is probably different than your plan. 
if you went and you took my little e-gym thing and put it up there and then tried to do my workout, it'd be wacky. It'd be way too easy for you. <laughs> you wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the right size. The weights would be wrong. All sorts of stuff would be wrong if you try to do it like me. But when you do it the way God's called you to do it, then it fits. It works. God knows exactly who you are and what you need. The temptation in the spiritual life so often is to try to do it like somebody else. For about 20 years, because I loved this book so much, I tried to do it like Hudson Taylor. That didn't work very well. It turns out I'm not Hudson Taylor. I can't handle his yoke. Jesus has a yoke for me. You remember in John 21, um, you know, Jesus has just... Um, appeared again, he's sort of recommissioned uh, Peter, and, they're, and they're, the disciples are walking with Jesus, and John's behind, and Peter looks behind and says to Jesus, hey, what about him? Like, what, 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 about, what about John? And Jesus, in a relatively bold and, I don't know the tone of voice, he says, basically, this is what he says, what is that to you, Peter? Like, what is that to you? What does it matter to you what I do with him? He says, you must follow me. I think, man, how instructive. Jesus is inviting us not to just a place of rest, but real learning and discipleship. He wants to be our discipler. Jesus in John 14, he says, I am the way. Not there's a way and you'll learn about it, but I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Discipleship is following Jesus in the way that he's called us to do so. Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. He was gentle enough that children felt comfortable with him. He was humble enough that the, the most common person felt like they could uh, resonate with him. They felt like they could, they could connect with Jesus. The nature of Jesus is gentleness and humility. He's trustworthy. And you know what that means? That means when we come to Jesus responding to this invitation with the same old stuff or whatever problem that we're, you know, our cycles that we go through, he's not going to fly off the handle. Jesus is gentle and he's humble in heart. Means he can be trusted with us, with our real stuff of life. It means that we can be exactly who we are at this present moment in his presence. You ever come into a prayer time and sort of feel like you wanted to hide from God? And then you remember, oh, omniscient. Darn. He knows everything. And he doesn't fly off the handle at us because he's gentle and he's humble in heart. And here's the promise. You will find rest for your souls. Second time rest is mentioned. The first time I said, it's not a noun, it's a verb. This time it's a noun. So we've come to him. He's taken the burden off. He's caused us to be able to, he's caused us to rest. This time when we connect with Jesus, when we learn from him, when we allow his yoke of grace to come upon us, he says, you will find rest for your souls. And this noun means an intermission. Cessation of motion or labor. Recreation or tranquility. Tranquility. When I see recreation, I read recreation. Because when we follow Jesus... When we take his yoke upon us, when we walk in the path of grace and really let him do the work in us and through us for his glory, 
then we are recreated. I mean, all sorts of recreation out there, but you might just ask yourself, does my recreation recreate me? Is what I'm doing to, to take a break actually bring me strength to come back and do something different? The invitation is to come to Jesus so he can help us stop our striving and we learn from him and with him and in him, and this is grace. The promise is rest for your souls. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a philosopher. I don't understand all things, but when I see soul, I think mind, will, and emotions. Imagine the rest of Jesus, the rest of Jesus for your mind. Oh, I want that. <laughs> Imagine the, the rest of Jesus for your will, all that anxious striving. Imagine the rest of Jesus. Take an intermission. Take a break. Let's do this together. It's going to be okay. Imagine the rest of Jesus for your emotions, the way they come flooding in at times, the, the way they just want to take you along with them. This is grace. Jesus says for uh, Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke was also uh, used to symbolize the law, something to be born, like to be uh, carried out, to be handled or accomplished in order to receive a reward. Um, I read a commentary, it's called the Ancient Christian Commentary, and it's um, commentary on the scripture from the first century believers, or first couple of centuries believers, so the, the church fathers, we're talking third, fourth century after Jesus. Here's what they write about this passage. As the maker and Lord of all, he spoke to the weary Jews who did not have the strength to bear the yoke of the law. He spoke to idolaters, heavy laden and oppressed by the devil and weighed down by the multitude of their sins. Jesus knew who he was talking to when he says, come to me. That was from Clement, uh, some dude 1,500 years ago. This was written by an anonymous person who I would love to meet in heaven someday. This is what he says, Mr. or Mrs. Anonymous. It is a pleasing weight that strengthens even more those who carry it. It is a pleasing weight that strengthens even more those who carry it. We do not bear grace. Grace bears us. That one went right here. We do not bear grace. Grace bears us. Somehow, when we take on the yoke of Jesus and do it in him and with him, in the midst of that relationship of trust and grace and his leadership, we get stronger. Back to the EGEM, which is available for sale afterwards if you... The, the way the EGM works is it makes you do the work so you get stronger. You don't get stronger by looking at the EGM or talking in a sermon about the EGM. You get stronger by submitting yourself to it and then doing the work. Somehow, walking with Jesus and his yoke makes us stronger, not weaker. Because it's his power, it's his grace, it's not our power, and it's not our zeal. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it, he fulfilled it. And the result of Jesus fulfilling the law, his life and his death, is that we can come to him, 
We can be accepted by him. We can be loved by him. We can be trained by him. We can walk with him. And this is grace. In that day, the yoke was understood as a symbol of oppressive power and even misery. And Jesus offers his yoke as relationship and rest. Grace fits us perfectly. The yoke is easy because Jesus is there and present. The burden is light because Jesus is in us and we're in him. It's not just us by ourselves holding up. It's him within us and this yoke that he formed for us. Last thing I'll say about the EGM. Three things. The EGM keeps me from doing too much, which I am absolutely prone to do. Has anyone else ever gotten to the end of a Sunday night and said, all right, this week I'm doing it. I'm going to start working out again. I'm going to really go. You get up in the morning, you know, you do the rocky stretch, which is this. And then you run five miles. And then you die. (laughs) Because you're not ready for five miles. Or however you do it, you're working out, you overdo it. I am so prone to overdoing. The e-gym, because it knows me, helps me do what's good for me and not too much. It also keeps me from doing the work that I do incorrectly. You know, you ever see someone in the gym, if you've ever been there, you see someone in the gym and they're stressing and straining and they're all out of whack and you think they're going to kill themselves trying to make themselves healthy. But Jesus, the (laughs) e-gym helps me do things in the right way. It, It monitors, I can't lock my arms, it won't let me. And it won't let me come all the way down. It keeps the pressure where the pressure needs to be. And finally, it gives me a way to do what I actually want to do and know is good for me. Use my muscle. Break it down so my muscle can grow back stronger and healthier. I don't want to minimize the invitation of Jesus with all this talk of the e-gym. But it's the invitation and the promise of Jesus this morning. We're invited to come to him because he knows us. He knows what we need. He knows what we can do. He knows what we must do. He knows the work that will make us stronger. He knows that if we connect with him, his grace will bear us. We don't have to make grace happen. We receive it. We come to him because he knows us perfectly, which means we get to stop doing it our own way, and he takes the burden of doing it alone, and he gives us the yoke of a perfectly fitted way of life. We live with him. We work with him. And we're in him. And the end result of this is rest for our souls. I think the world could probably take some, right now, some rested souls. Some people out there in the world whose minds are at rest because of Jesus. Whose wills are at rest because of Jesus. No more anxious trying to make everything happen all the time. Whose emotions are at rest with Jesus. So that we can be a peaceful presence in the world and not the anxious presence that so many experience. The only requirement Jesus seems to indicate in this passage for those that come to him is that we recognize our need, that we humble ourselves and actually come to him, and that we accept his yoke. We say to Jesus, your will for me is what I want. The way you've designed me, I accept. The way you want me to live in the world, I will do it. The way you've built me and created me, I'm going to rejoice in that 
because you know me. Jesus is inviting us today to come to him very personally, very practically, very honestly for his leadership and his rest. It's an invitation to grace. Let's stand. If I could have some of the ministry team come forward. I, I formed a prayer. I just asked, Holy Spirit, what would be a good prayer for us to pray if we want to submit either for the first time or once again to the yoke of Jesus, if we want to come to him, if we want to learn from him, if we want to access his humility and his gentleness, if we really want rest for our souls. So I, I wrote a prayer with the Holy Spirit. And what I'd like to do is just invite you, if in any way, and there's no pressure, but if in any way you want to come to Jesus this morning, you want to submit yourself for the first time or once again to him and receive rest. You want to experience the power and the grace of God on your life, in your life, and through your life. And I just suggest, close your eyes, put your hands out like this in a receiving mode. And I'm going to pray this prayer. And um, I'll leave some space. You don't have to say it aloud. You don't have to say it at all. But let it, if it's the desire of your heart, let God hear from you. Jesus, I know you love me. Thank you for inviting me to come to you. Jesus, here I am. I'm coming to you now. Maybe even picture yourself walking towards Jesus. Him being perfectly gentle and perfectly humble. I choose today, willingly, to accept your yoke, your perfect yoke, designed in love for me and me alone. I submit myself to you, Jesus. I rejoice in your leadership of my life. I want to learn from you, your gentleness, your humility, your love. I ask this morning, and I believe for and willingly accept your rest for my soul. Jesus, I receive your grace. And now if you just use your divinely inspired imagination, your sanctified imagination, can you imagine Jesus robing you with grace? Perfectly fitted garment of grace that encompasses your frame, fills and, and uh, covers your mind, brings rest to your will, calms and clarifies your emotions. Jesus, here we are. Take these prayers. Pour out your grace upon us. We trust you to do it. Amen. We have a, a ministry team in front if... Uh, 
God's urging you, there's something that you heard, there's something you came in with that um, honestly you don't want to go home with, you need to bring it to Jesus, then I'd invite you to come forward and let uh, someone pray for you. My prayer for us is that we would be a grace-filled people that uh, come to Jesus on a daily basis, that learn from him and walk out in humility and gentleness and we walk in that rest for our souls and we give it away to the world. Go in peace. Have a great day.